Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, June 10th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 1 to 21. The land of Judah is not the place of safety for marriage or family. Death, destruction, and exile are coming. Yet the Lord gives his promise that he will one day bring his people back, giving an even greater salvation than the exodus from Egypt. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me back. As Except we for giving some... me this text. It's Jeremiah. It's wonderful. It, it is wonderful at the end. Uh, that's right. You, you, and we will talk about this. You get one of those beautiful glimpses from Jeremiah of a gospel promise that I've already referenced, but you'll get to dig into us a little, dig into that a little bit more for us. So Jeremiah 16, we've got the whole chapter today. What do we need to know about the prophet, his ministry, his book going into the text? Well, like you alluded to, um, until you get towards chapter 30 in Jeremiah, there really is not a whole lot of gospel that's really being preached. You get little little tidbits of it. We'll get a little bit of that today, but there's, there's not a lot. There's a lot of uh, judgment against uh, the nation of Israel and rightly so. Right. And this is something that, that we'll see, you know, that is, Israel has once again fallen into idolatry. And so the, the Lord is just letting them have it. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting to think about is that with uh, e- even as, as tough as Jeremiah's prophecies are against the people of Israel, is that they deserve worse, right? And and this is something that that we'll, we'll see a little bit of. But w- we always deserve worse than what we actually get from the Lord, because the Lord is merciful towards us, and we get a little glimpse of that here. But I mean, it'll come into its its full beauty in chapters thirty through uh, thirty three. Uh, for the time being, though, we're we're still in the middle of. Uh, Jeremiah just kind of hammering the people. And, and now we get into some uh, some areas where it, it, it definitely starts hitting a lot closer to home. You know, it's one thing to, to say that, you know, the Lord's going to cause you to be carried off to uh, to other lands or um, that he's going to you know personally afflict you. But when he starts coming after your family, um, you know, that that's when uh, and even the blessed dead. Um, that, 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 that's a whole different level and, and that's what shows up here. I, I think that is a, an important idea to ponder that actually the people of Judah and Jerusalem deserve worse. And, and just as, I mean, that's striking given how bad of a picture Jeremiah has painted and what he's going to paint today. But even just as one example that the Lord could have done worse to them would be the fact that. Jeremiah is actually talking to them. The fact that Jeremiah is there preaching is a sign that the Lord has not yet done his worst because he's still giving his word and the opportunity to repent. Right. Yeah. And and this is the thing that um, the, the, the worst punishment that the Lord can do to us is what he talks about, like with Pharaoh or what St. Paul talks about at the beginning of Romans is to hand us over to the own hardness of our heart, to cease 
his work of softening our heart, right? Um, to cease sending preachers, to cease sending his word and his gifts, uh, to draw us back into salvation, uh, thereby drawing us also back into eternal life. Uh, as soon as the Lord stops doing that, then we're done. And he just handed us over, right? And thankfully, the Lord does not, that is not the normal work of the Lord. Um, that's kind of on the extreme, but we should always be warned against that, which is why the Lord gives us those warnings in scripture. But yeah, I mean, he could have just left Israel to their own devices, to their idolatry, let them go, go astray. But one of the things in the background of this is like, we're still prior to the Messiah, right? And if the Lord does that, then he, uh, he's preventing himself from keeping his promise to, to come in the flesh as Christ, right? That line will be preserved even in the midst of all of this um, and because of the sending of the prophets. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the line that comes to my mind is what should terrify us even more than the things that Jeremiah preaches. And I forget where it is in Amos, but Amos is the one who talks about the famine of God's word. Right. That should be even more terrifying than even what Jeremiah is preaching here, because at least Jeremiah is preaching. Right. Yeah. And and I mean, I think we may understand that a little bit better now than we did, you know, a year and a half ago where you, you did have, you know, some places just uh, you, you didn't have preaching going anymore. Some places it was minimized, uh, whatever it might be. We, we experienced at some level a famine of the word. And I think many Christians felt that very strongly. And so it makes a lot more sense to us now and should cause us then to rejoice that much more strongly in the fact that the Lord has not completely removed his hand of mercy from us and removed his preaching from his church. Hmm. Yeah. So let's, let's see how Jeremiah is still preaching words of law, but is still preaching to the people of Judah and Jerusalem in today's text. We're in Jeremiah 16, picking up at the first verse, the word of the Lord came to me. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in this land. They shall die of deadly diseases. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. They shall perish by the sword and by famine, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. For thus says the Lord, Do not enter the house of mourning, or go to lament or grieve for them. For I have taken away my peace from this people, my steadfast love and mercy, declares the Lord. Both great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, and no one shall lament for them, or cut himself, or make himself bald for them. No one shall break bread for the mourner, to comfort him for the dead, nor shall anyone give him the cup of consolation to drink for his father or his mother. You shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and drink. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will silence in this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And when you tell this people all these words and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods and have served and worshipped them and have forsaken me and have not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. 
Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. That's Jeremiah 16, verses 1 to 13, the first part of our text for today. Tough stuff, Pastor Kelgo. It, it, is, stuff. it is indeed. And, and like I mentioned, it, it goes like right in, it goes at, starts coming after, you know, the things that are closer to us, right? And he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah is interesting in this because he he's the only prophet who receives this particular command. But in general, Jeremiah has a lot of, his preaching that comes not only from the words that he speaks, but from his own actions that the Lord gives him to have. Right. Uh, and so this is one of those that, that he's commanded not to have a wife and not to have children. Right. And he's the only prophet that gets that command. Um, I believe he's one of the very few prophets that isn't married generally, um, if I remember correctly. So, well, I mean, off the top of my head, you know, Isaiah has kids whose names are significant. Hosea very famously gets married to to a prostitute in order to to show forth. So Jeremiah's not being married, not having kids certainly stands out. And I, I, I appreciate you bringing this out because I think it's it's easy to read this text where the Lord says, you shall not take a wife almost as a, a very general thing. But really, this is quite specific to Jeremiah. He's right. not supposed to get married. He's not supposed to have kids. And that, and he's not supposed to like do the funeral stuff either. Right. And, and all of that is meant to be an opportunity to preach to the people. That in and of itself is a preaching to the people. Hey, Jeremiah, why didn't you, why aren't you married? Why don't you have kids? It's because of this. Why didn't you go to the funeral for, uh, what's a good Hebrew name? Duh. Hananiah, <laughs> yeah. the false prophet later. Why didn't you go to his funeral? This is why. That's why. So this is all a part of an enacted prophecy of, of Jeremiah. We've seen him do it before. We'll continue to see it more. In terms of what this one actually is, as you pointed out already, it's this, I think, strikes us still today because we know from the Lord's word that getting married, having kids, grieving our blessed dead, these are are some of the most important things in this life is, and so maybe there's an opportunity for us to, well, why this prophecy then what's is, are these things bad or was something else going on? Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So this is something that the Lord will do quite often is he will teach us what is important by taking the important things away. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, to teach us again of the importance of marriage and children, um, he causes his prophet to not have them. And then he also says that thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in the land, they shall die of deadly diseases. Right. So, so that they're going to die as well. Um, you, you get a good chunk that's going to die there. And you've got the prophet who doesn't have a wife of his own and children of his own. And you, you learn where are the things that we should be rejoicing in, right? And it and it's not the the false idols that are going to come into play later. Um, it's in the very particular gifts that the Lord gives us in in this case in family, right? Um, that there's you know we can we can think of the the estates that the Lord places us in. We we usually talk about the three estates and that these are the 
three chief realms that the Lord gives us blessings in, that he blesses us in the home and in the church and in the family. And if you look in those, then you can see where the Lord is teaching us. What are the things in this life to uh, to treasure and to hold on to and, and to uphold? And in order to show that forth to the people of Israel, uh, he takes it away, right? Uh, he does this. This is kind of fascinating to me. He does this elsewhere, uh, for example, with singing, right? And this is connected like with the the Babylonian exile that he removes the song of the Israelites from them as part of their judgment. And so he then teaches us and he teaches the Israelites that singing is a good gift to rejoice in by taking it away. And we do the same with our own children, right? So so what do you take away from your children um, to to teach them you don't take away the things that they don't like you take away the things that that are that are good right you you take away you know their treats or you take away you know their their time hanging out with friends or you take away their time you know doing sports or what whatever it might be um uh to to instruct them right and they learn to rejoice in those things even more because they've had to go without i think it too with with this text well just to to reiterate that point first that when the Lord tells Jeremiah, don't get married, don't have kids, it's not saying that marriage and family are wrong or bad. Rather, right. it's saying something specifically about what's going on in Jeremiah's day. And and the fact that he takes these things away is actually an indication of just how important and how joyous of a gift of God they truly are. I think one of the things going on in this text as well, particularly as we think forward in the book of Jeremiah, has to do with where these activities are happening and, mm-hmm. and what's happening in Jeremiah's day. In Jeremiah's day, the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem have become a habitation for idolatry. And the people have been thinking, and we've seen this, you know, oh, look, we've got the temple here. We're okay. We're living in the promised land. We're okay. Surely the Lord will bless us and our children in this place. And Actually, the answer that Jeremiah gives, which is the answer of the Lord, is no, you're not going to be okay in this place. And later, and this is the surprising thing about Jeremiah, is that where are they going to actually have kids and get or get married and have kids and and build houses? Well, it's actually going to be in Babylon. And, and that's coming. So I think, I mean, that's something else that's going on is is you're seeing the the level of just how bad it is in Judah and Jerusalem that these things that normally would be good are suddenly it's, it's actually going to be better for Jeremiah that he doesn't have these things. Right. Yeah. And that's the other part of this too, that that's good to realize is that there, there is an aspect of the Lord uh, preserving Jeremiah in the midst of this from having to undergo the, the hardships of having his own wife and his own children and then having them taken away from him. Right there, there, you can see the, the mercy of God in, in doing that. Right. So there, there's, you know, a few few places that you have similar sort of things, right? You have in Luke where Jesus talks about um, uh, the uh, the women being blessed who did not bear children and who who have not nursed, right? Um, and talking about weeping for for their children and these sorts of things, right? Uh, and then you have, I, I think, a great example is in the in the garden uh, when when the Lord casts out Adam and Eve that. We have a tendency to look at that only as as a negative judgment, not a positive judgment. But we should remember that if Adam and Eve eat of the tree of life and live forever um, 
as, as those who have fallen from grace, that's not a good thing, right? And so the Lord is preserving them until the Messiah comes to restore us. And then that promise to eat from the tree of life is given back to us in the resurrection, right? So it's not entirely removed from us, but it's removed from us for a time in mercy, right? So, so you can see that happening with Jeremiah. He, he, he keeps Jeremiah from having to undergo that himself in addition to using it as a means by which he'll preach to the people of what's important and preach them concerning. I mean, there's, there's multiple layers of what's going on in there just in that, that first little line. Sure. Yeah. I mean, to, to preach to them, Jeremiah, why aren't you married? Why don't you have kids? It's because the children, the, the marriages that are happening here in this place will one day be gone. Right. I mean, that's, that's the answer to that question, which is that preaching of judgment. Now, as, as this text continues, so Jeremiah don't get married, don't have kids. Also, Jeremiah don't, don't mourn, don't go through the normal habits of what happens around a funeral. That's what's going on in particular in verses five and following. That one I think may may strike us in our context a little more strange or maybe not as big of a deal. Although perhaps COVID has taught us a few things about why it is a big deal. Because we, you know, we're often very removed from the process of death and dying these mm-hmm. days. It doesn't face us. Uh, why why is that part of what the Lord gives Jeremiah here? Well, the the ability to gather with one another in the face of death and comfort one another, and that, that's part of our mourning is comforting one another, but particularly that we comfort one another with the promise of the resurrection, the promise of the Lord's mercy, um, that to not be able to do that leaves you to just deal with death in a void, right? Uh, you, you only have death now and and you're by yourself. And, and that's a um, that's a pretty awful place to be. Anybody who's ever gone through that will will tell you themselves. And like you said, I think a lot of people have gone through that over the last year, year and a half uh, personally. And so we we understand this a bit better now. Um, and, and you can see, too, how that's taking place. So he says, do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them uh, because I have taken away my peace, my steadfast love and my mercy, right? So, so that the peace of God, the steadfast love of God, the mercy of God is bound into the ability to come together and mourn and lament together at the, at the death of our loved ones. And as St. Paul says, not of those who have no hope, right? But we, we mourn because death is, is evil and is a product of the fall. Um, all the while realizing and comforting one another with the promise that death is undone in the resurrection. Right. And, and this is a good reminder too, that the, the teaching of the resurrection is very much in the old Testament. This is not something that just comes along in the, in the new Testament as some new teaching. This is, um, if people remember, you know, their Sunday school lessons, this is one of the primary distinctions between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection, which means the Pharisees do. Right. And that, that's one of the, the, the things that the, the gospels will bring up about the, the Sadducees. And, um, and you even see that like in the, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, when it's talking about, for instance, uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, that he believed that he would receive him back from the dead. Mm. Right. Um, which, which really helps to understand like why Abraham would even be willing to go through with this. Well, because the resurrection exists, right. I'm, I'll get my son back. So, so this is all bound to that, but I, I want to 
push back just a little bit and, and just touch on this with the um the um the the dead bodies um there and uh being as as dung on the surface of the ground and um food for the birds of the air that this is connected with this as well that that the lord would have us take care of our bodies even in death right that these 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 are bodies that the lord has created and redeemed and sanctified we 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 get this beautiful little collect at the uh graveside uh, where we're where we're blessing um uh, the, the the body right at the end. We say, may the Lord, may God the Father who created this body, may God the Son who by his blood redeemed this body, may God the Holy Spirit who uh, sanctified this body to be his temple, something along those lines, um, uh, keep it um, until the, the resurrection of all flesh, right? And so we, we invoke the, the, the name of the Trinity and all the work of the Trinity has been poured into our bodies, right? Um, and so it is a shameful thing then for these bodies to just be left out and, you know, to be as dung on the surface of the ground or to be devoured by the animals of the air, right? As one of the reasons why they take the, um, the bodies down uh, uh, at the crucifixion, right? So that the wild animals wouldn't have their way with them. Because cause even, even those bodies, right, of the criminals, they're like, that. that is too shameful uh, uh, to do that with. So... So that's going on here too. That, um, that the the teaching of the importance of our body and the and the rebuke then of the Lord in in allowing the bodies to be uh, defiled in that sort of way. Yeah, I mean, any anything good that we would have in this life is going to be taken away in the days of of Judah and Jerusalem. Anything good that we would even have in the moment of death, those those good things that we do to confess the resurrection at the moment of death, those are taken away because this destruction is happening. I mean, that's how, again, that's how bad it's going to be when Babylon comes and destroys Judah and Jerusalem is that all of these things that, that once would have either been good in this life or provided a measure of comfort in death, it's just not there anymore. It's, it's all gone. Again, this is the, the picture that Jeremiah is painting by the way that he's acting, by not getting married, not having kids, not going to funerals, not going to parties. That's the other, you know, the house of feasting is here as well. All of this Jeremiah is not to be a part of because of what's coming. And, and what's, a, what's amazing to me is you know, verse 10 the Lord says to Jeremiah, when you say all of this, they're going to ask you a question. And I think I, I've asked this previously, you know, they're going to ask, well, why is this happening? Why is the Lord doing this? And my thoughts like, how do you not know the answer to this question already? Jeremiah has been telling you all along. Right. He repeats it though. What What's going on? This is verses 10 through 13. This is really where the Lord tells Jeremiah, okay, here's the point. Here's what you're going to preach. Right. Well, and, and you mentioned this, and this is good for us because we do the same thing. Like we will ask God, you know, why God, why, why are you um, causing me to suffer like this? Why are you bringing these things upon me or not, not giving me all the desires of my heart or whatever it might be. Right. And we fail to recognize our own wickedness constantly. Right. Which is why the Lord gives to us in his word, this, this very constant, uh, rebuke of our sin and a reminder of our sin um, and, and pointing us away from ourselves and to himself and to his work uh, through Christ on the cross, right? Um, and, and this is what's happening again here. Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What's our iniquity? What's the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? 
So Jeremiah, you can kind of imagine, uh, you know, Jeremiah just, you know, kind of face palming right here. Like, really, really, guys, the, you're going to. OK, here, here you go. Your fathers have forsaken me. They've gone after other gods. They've forsaken me. They haven't kept my word. And you've done worse. You followed in the st- stubbornness of your own evil will. And you've refused to listen to me. Right. And and this is maybe the key one there. Right. Is and you, you mentioned that they're in Jerusalem and uh, Judea with the temple, that the temple does no good if you're not hearing the word that's coming from the temple. Right. The purpose of the temple is to be the place where God's word where his voice um, uh, echoes forth it, and into the people's ears. Right. Uh, you can even see that, you know, in the in the like the ironic benediction, right? That thus shall you put my name on my people. And we've retained this into our, our liturgy as well. But, um, the, what, what is the, the great judgment is that they've gone after other gods and have refused to listen to the one true God, right? They've listened, they, they've committed the same sin as what was committed in the garden. It's the same thing over and over. It's listening to another voice, right? Um, Luther makes this fantastic point in Small Called, where he's talking about enthusiasm. It's um, in part three, article 10, I believe. And uh, it's it's the article on repentance of, of all places. And he starts talking about enthusiasm. And he says that, um, that the devil turned Adam and Eve into enthusiasts. And, and this is kind of the fancy theological word for, you know, finding God within yourself instead of in the the external word of God. But this is, this is kind of a really brilliant point on, on Luther's part. Uh, The devil turned Adam and Eve into enthusiasts um, by turning them away from God's outward word, but he did so by other outward words, right? So, so that this is what's happening with the people of Israel here. So they're being turned into enthusiasts. Uh, They're, they're, they're listening to other words. So, it's, it's not only that they've not listened to God, but they've listened that that void of, of the voice of God will always be filled with another voice. It'll be filled with other words. Um, it's not like if we just stop listening to God's word, there's just silence, right? Peace and quiet, right? That That's not yeah. what we get. We get the we get the voice of the world and our and, and the devil and our own sinful flesh filling the void. And that's what we end up listening to. And we go after those gods and we worship them. Right. Um, yeah. And the well, rebuke that- then is they go into a different land and the very end uh, um, that the Lord hands them over to serve those very gods. Yeah. Right. They get, they get what they want. That's right. what they've asked for. And the Lord's going to show them what that's like. And you're, I mean, listening to the other, the other outward words, that's what they've been doing. The false prophets, peace, peace. There is no peace. The temple, of the Lord, but you're not listening. And so Jeremiah keeps preaching and that is good news that he is preaching. We're going to hear more of Jeremiah's preaching on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO talking Jeremiah 16 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, June 10th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 1 to 21 with Pastor Sean Kelgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kelgo, prior to the break, we were looking at the first 13 verses of our text, the enacted prophecy that the Lord gives to Jeremiah not to marry, not to have kids, not to participate in funeral rites or in feasting, all for the reason of preaching to the people of Judah and Jerusalem what is going to happen to them in the coming exile and why it happens to them in the coming exile, because they have forsaken the Lord to worship idols. One thing we we skipped over that I know you wanted to mention at least a little bit is in verse nine, we get a full title. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And often we'll hear in Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me, the Lord of hosts is, but here we've got the full title, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And anytime God names himself, it's right that we pay attention. So what does this name, this title for God indicate? Yeah, so this is a pretty interesting one because it shows up something like 37 times in in the Old Testament and like, I think 33 or 32 of those is in Jeremiah. So th- this is kind of a, a favorite uh, title in Jeremiah. But what you see happening with it a lot of times is it's almost like this red flag that or this signal that's coming up that that the Lord is about to do something very important. Uh, and in particular in Jeremiah, because this is the majority of Jeremiah anyway, it, it corresponds with some pretty harsh judgments, right? So in this case, um, I will silence in this place before your eyes and in your days, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And you can, you can hear a lot of echoes of things like uh, the preaching of the church and, and the Lord's own word in there corresponding with what we talked about that um, the Lord will give the people to serve other gods and to, to listen to these words and he'll for a time remove his preaching from them. But there's a lot kind of packed into all of this and, and maybe one of the things to to recognize and, and why it would make sense that this particular name would correspond with uh, with the judgment of the Lord. And we can even see that you'll you'll see it in like uh, Jeremiah 30 through 33 in the, the in the book of comfort. Uh, he'll he'll use that title there as well. But you, you can see how that this is now a judgment against Babylon in bringing the people of Israel out. Mm. So uh, you, you can always connect it to, to a judgment just about every time. It's just usually it's directed at Israel. But the Lord of hosts, we, we hear this, and we should remember this is the, the Hebrew word sabaoth. And we sing this in our liturgy, and I think that we sometimes think that it's just a, a typo and it's supposed to be Lord of Sabbath. Um, but it's not. It's the Lord of the, the Sabaoth Lord. And that is the Hebrew word for army, right? So, so it's the Lord of the armies, the God of Israel. And uh, God there is um, the Elohim term. So you've got the two most common 
names for God, Yahweh and Elohim kind of bound together. And it's this reminder that, that the Lord who is um, in charge of the heavenly armies uh, is also the one who is in charge of Israel, right? Get these kind of bound up to one another and that he has full authority to do what he's going to do, right? In, in case there's any doubt. And, and so when this shows up, it, it's good, uh, you know, for the listener to just kind of think about this as we're going through Jeremiah, just kind of keep an eye out for this, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel and notice when it shows up because it's, it's pretty unique and it does usually indicate something uh, very particularly important is going to happen. Hmm. Let's move to the rest of the text. Then we pick up again at verse 14 of Jeremiah 16 and we get one of those glimmers and here quite a very beautiful glimmer of the gospel in this section. So Jeremiah 16, beginning at verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending, sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols, and have filled my inheritance with their abominations." O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know, this once I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord." That's the rest of our text for today. That was Jeremiah 16, 14 to 21. So Pastor Hillville, verse 14 starts with a, an ominous, an ominous in a good way in this case, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Anytime that comes, that means something big is about to happen. Yeah, this is one of those, those Old Testament kind of prophetic markers, uh, the days are coming. And in this case, it, and it can mean, you know, the days are coming for, for judgment or the days are coming for the Lord's mercy. In this case, it's, it's the latter. And what's really interesting about this is that you get the uh, the the what's normally the big event, right? The Exodus, um, how the Lord is known very regularly in the Old Testament, the Lord who brought that brought the people out of the land of Egypt. That now he says, "I will be known as the Lord who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and all the countries where I had placed them, right? Uh, because I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers, right? And so." In in the Lord's judgment to send them off into Babylon, which is what's going to happen, that even in the midst of that, he still not only preserves the people of Israel, but he preserves their land that he's promised to them. That that promise hasn't gone away, that this this is the land that he's promised to their fathers, and it will be their good dwelling land. But for the time being, they're not going to be able to dwell in it. But they will come back, right? So, so in the midst of all this, is kind of you get this little break 
where the Lord's saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to drive you out, but there's, there's a time that's going to come when I will bring you back um, because I'm, I'm merciful. And, and that's just part of my nature. Mm. Well, and, and the fact that this is going to be an event of greater salvific significance then even the Exodus is saying something. The Exodus is that chief event of salvation in the Old Testament for so long. You you see it in the Psalms over and over again. This is what the people pointed to as the Lord's event of, of their salvation. And he's saying here, what I'm going to do in bringing you back from exile is even bigger, which is is quite striking. And just trying to think a little bit you know, about those two events. In the Exodus, the Lord is saving them from slavery to the Egyptians, to their to their captors who were oppressing them. The Lord heard, he recognized, he, he did something. He saved them from that outside enemy. Jeremiah has been making plain throughout his preaching that the enemy here is Judah and Jerusalem themselves. They have imported these foreign gods. They've fallen into this idolatry. They've refused to repent over and over again. They've become the enemies. And so the Lord is going to give them this just judgment. And yet, even then, the Lord's still going to save them. He's going to save them from their own sinful selves, which is what a what a profound thing that no matter who the enemy is, the Lord is going to be faithful to his promise and save his people. It, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And if you think about that, that's actually that it, it helps to make a lot of sense as to why this is the becomes the bigger event, right? Because it's it's somewhat easy to. You know, if it, like if you were in trouble, there was, you know, some mugger coming after you and I went and I, you know, you know, pulled you out of the way and I beat up the mugger and, and saved you. Right. You know, that that's easier to do than, you know, if you're sitting there beating yourself up. Right. Because, you know, what, what do I do then? Right. I've, I've got to somehow not only restrain you and keep you from hurting yourself, but I've also got to convince you to not hurt yourself any longer. Right. That, that I have to make some sort of internal change to you. And, and this is what the Lord does with the people of Israel. But it's, we should see a reflection of our Lord Jesus's work here for us as well, that that this is what he does uh, for all of us, that he makes an internal change in us from being born blind, dead enemies of God, that we're our own worst enemy in that, and that he uh, changes us from the inside out. He gives us a clean heart. Uh, as as we pray, you know, in, in Psalm 51, as he promises in Ezekiel that he will sprinkle clean water on us and take from our take from us our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And and so th- this is the same sort of thing. And I do wonder if there's an echoing also with this, this bringing back to the their own land, the land that I gave to their fathers, that, that there's an echoing then into the land of the resurrection with this. Right? I kind of always wonder that with the. Uh, the, the talk of the land of the fathers and how how this is promised and the the new Jerusalem that is then coming uh, in the resurrection. I, I think so. You know, I mean, the land of their fathers. I think anytime we we hear that, or you know, like the that phrase, "He went to be with his fathers," like that that should there should be an echo of the resurrection. I think that we we are hearing there what you were saying about the difference between the outward and inward change, and that this is something the only the Lord can accomplish. I think fits very nicely with Jeremiah's context and, and his preaching so far. Jeremiah began his ministry in the days of King Josiah, who worked a lot of good reforms. But as became apparent 
especially after Josiah died and the kings after him came about and the same old errors were, were coming about again, all Jeremiah's reforms did for many people was an outward change. I mean, some, some people, and, and not to call into question Josiah himself, but some of the people certainly believed, but for many of them, it was just going through the motions. Right. And, and Jeremiah has been preaching this way a lot. Like you, you can't do it only outwardly. This has to be a change that comes about in the heart. And as you said, that is only the Lord's work. And that is what he does for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Right. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's the, if, if you think about what's harder to do, right, that, that is immensely more difficult uh, to do. And, and the fact that the Lord doesn't just like, like we talked about at the beginning, the fact that the Lord just doesn't hand us over to the hardness of our heart, when we realize just, just how bad our hearts are and that the Lord doesn't just say, you know what, that, that's just too much work, right? That's what we would do, right? We, we'd look at this person and be like, you know what? We'd look at Israel and be like, you know what? This is time. Like I've, I, I don't have enough fingers to count how many times that they've abandoned me. Uh, they're doing it again. You know what? Israel, just go do whatever. I'll go find someone else to be my people, right? And he doesn't, right? He he continues coming to them, uh, continues bringing them back to himself, and he does the same with us, right? This is the the steadfast love of the Lord, the Lord who is um, slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love and mercy, right? That that's such a big, important attribute of God, and it, it shows forth here very clearly. Hmm. Now, as as Jeremiah continues, we've got this nice gospel promise, very clear here in verses fourteen and fifteen, and then in verse sixteen, he brings up a new image, he talks about fishers, which for us who who know the gospels, we're like oh, fishers of men, this is good. But then right after that, in parallel to the fishers, are hunters. And that doesn't sound as good. Is, is there maybe a bit of both? What's, what is Jeremiah doing with the fishers and hunters that the Lord says he's going to, to send after his people? Is this good, bad, some of both? What do you think? Yeah, this is, an, it, you know, I will just have to admit this is a text that is still somewhat mysterious to me. Uh, it is one of these that's difficult to read and we just have to keep wrestling with it. But uh, my inclination would be to say that there is a bit of both going on here, that there's th- this gathering aspect, but also this, you know, continued uh, killing aspect that, that you have earlier in the text, right? Where you're getting all these all these promises from the Lord that you know the people are going to die, right? Well, that's that's what happens when hunters are sent upon you. And if you think about, you know, the people of Babylon, right, that would certainly fit the the nature of Babylon as a as a people and a and an army and whatnot. There's an interesting thing in here too, though. Um, you can hear echoed Isaiah's great promise. Um, uh, First, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin. There are two ways to read that, and we should probably read it again both ways. That. There's, there's a great amount of judgment upon us because of our sin, but there is also a great amount of mercy given to us on account of our sin. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, Isaiah has this great preaching. I'm trying to remember when this shows up for us. I, I think chapter this is in, 40, I think, is what you're thinking. Well, of. No, I'm, I, yeah, will, I'm, I will I'm, give to her double. Yeah, I'm thinking, her I, it usually shows up in Advent, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, in, in our... Uh, so speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received double uh, for all of her sins, right? 
And if you just had that phrase, you know, that, that Israel will uh, receive double for all her sins, you're like, well, I, I don't know if that's good or bad. But the, the context in Isaiah makes it very clear, right? Her warfare is over. Um, the, the double for the iniquity is a overflowing mercy from God, more than what we deserve. Mm-hmm. And, and you, I, I kind of think that in the context of Jeremiah, we should probably take both aspects of that into this as well. Right. Um, Not only because of what just came prior to it, but also what comes after that the Lord will make make his name known to them. Right. I mean, I think these looking particularly at verses 16 through 18 of our text, the fishers, the hunters, the the doubly repaying for their iniquity. I, I think Jeremiah and given his full context Maybe, and I don't know if, if this term is helpful or not, but the Lord wants his people to know this isn't going to be a, a cheap grace. It doesn't mean that he's somehow ignoring their sin or is like, oh, it was all okay. No, it was not all okay. It, you know, the Lord had to die for it. That's that's what had to happen for this sin, such that this catching with fish, fishers or hunters, you know, yes, the Lord is gathering his people, but they are still going to go through the exile. This, this, all this stuff that Jeremiah is doing, not taking a wife, not having kids, not mourning and not feasting, like that's not going to be terribly pleasant to go through the refiner's fire is going to burn, but the Lord is still going to bring his people together even through that. And it is going to be his word of promise that sustains, even as that same word burns away all this iniquity, these detestable idols that his people are still trying to cling to. So maybe that's a, again, trying to, to see how you can see both things being communicated in this image. Right. And, and even with, with fishers, we should remember that, you know, if you think about like the process of a, a fish being caught in a net, right, that's not the most pleasant thing for the fish, right? If you think about like, if, if you had a big giant net around you and it's dragging you up, all your weight is pressing on all these lines of rope, right? You're getting a rope burn is going to, you know, contort you in all sorts of uncomfortable ways. Right. But it's, you know, when the Lord is doing this, it's, it's for our salvation, right? It, it's not going to feel great in the moment, but as, uh, as St. Paul reminds us that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's beyond all comparison. So, you know, we can, we can deal with it for now. Sure. The writer of the Hebrews talks about discipline not being terribly pleasant at the time, but later mm-hmm. we we look at it and yes, this was a, a good thing that our fathers did. How much more than what our Lord does to refine us, to to burn away those idols, to take away our iniquities from us so that we might remain founded on him and, and him alone. I, I think there's some of both going on in as the you know, the text continues from that beautiful light in fourteen and fifteen. It it's not completely as dark as other places, but there is a reminder of, of the judgment that's coming that has not been, you know, the exile still going to happen. The, the people will be, they will receive their just judgment for their sins, but, but the Lord still is going to save them. I, yeah. So I, I don't think, I don't think you completely leave the, the salvation aspect behind, but the judgment still, still there as well. Well, and maybe see this in there too, that, that the reason why the Lord brings judgment upon us, upon the people of Israel, is not because he's some sort of a tyrant. It's not because he just, you know, 
is a kid with a magnifying glass burning ants or something like that. He does it because he wants to bring us to repentance, to show us what the good things are that we should rejoice in, what the bad things are that we should uh, shun and repent of so that we would be brought into eternity with him. That That's the ultimate goal of everything that the Lord is always doing in the scriptures and in our own lives today is to bring us into everlasting life with him. And whatever has to be done to accomplish that, the Lord will do in up to and including dying himself, right? You mentioned that, but I, I think because we know this so well, it becomes like a common thing to us. It's like, oh yeah, well, Jesus died. Well, God dying is, it should not be a common thing. It, it shouldn't sound common, right? Because um, it's not, it, one, it happens once. And two, this is one of the things that distinguishes the one true God from all the false gods, right? That the one true God actually puts on flesh and blood and he preaches to us, but mo- most importantly, that he sheds his blood and dies and is buried and is raised and ascends for us. Hmm. Yeah, the, the fantastic reminder not to just throw that phrase away, but actually ponder and, and rejoice, wonder at what the Lord has done and actually he died for us. That's that's fantastic. Jeremiah in verses 19 through the end of the chapter, 19 through 21, it's almost like he, he breaks out in a bit of praise here, it seems. And what's what strikes me is that this gathering that the Lord is talking about, this bringing back is not only for the people of Judah and Jerusalem, but this is going to happen for the nations. Jeremiah, at the very beginning, the Lord called him to be a prophet for the nations. And what the Lord does for his own people, Judah and Jerusalem, is going to have an effect on all the nations of the world. And and these nations are going to come from the ends of the earth, and they're going to realize the same thing that the Lord wants Israel to realize, that their idolatry is worthless, that these gods aren't gods at all, and that he is the Lord. I mean, that's how the, this chapter concludes. They will know that my name is the Lord. That's a really significant phrase as well. Yeah. And, and this is a good point. This, this is something that we see uh, bringing, coming into it, its full completion in the book of Revelation with the, the multitude coming from every tribe and nation and language and peoples, right? And this is part of the prophecy of that that's going to happen, that the Lord is going to work salvation and repentance not just in the people of Israel, but for everybody, right? And that his desire is that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, and part of that knowledge of the truth is that these things that I've been worshiping as gods, and we should remember that we're not devoid of this in our day either, that we all have our own gods, our own idols, and it's going to hurt when the Lord removes those from us when he when he casts them down from all of our shelves that we sit them on but it, but once they're gone and we look and we see who the true god is then we rejoice that the lord has done that work because we see just how magnificent god is for us and we see that this is another thing that we we overlook a lot is is the name of god right that everything that, that we have from God is bound up into his name, right? I, I would encourage the listener to go, um, you know, take a look again at the small and large catechism on the first petition of the Lord's prayer. And Luther just draws this out so wonderfully, all the things that are, that are poured into God's name. But even you look in the old Testament and wherever God's name is, there is God himself, right? And so to, to have God's name, to know God's name is to know God 
and therefore to also know all of the mercy and blessing and love and forgiveness that is bound up to God as well, right? And and we should hear then an echo into the New Testament, you know, what, what is the name under which everyone will be saved, right? It is Jesus, right? To know the name of the Lord is to know the name of Jesus, right? And, and to have the name of God put upon you in holy baptism. So many, so many connections you could make with that. Pastor Coco, we got about two minutes here left on the morning. Final thoughts on the text. There is gospel. It's just one of those texts where I don't have to get, ask the guest at the end. Show us how this text gets us to Jesus because it's it, he is here very, very clearly. But, but final thoughts on the text and how this text does point us to Christ crucified and risen for us. Well, so if we don't, th- this is something that, that we do well not to overlook. We shouldn't be too quick to dismiss our own sins, right? When, when the Lord and his preachers come and they point out our sins, uh, one of the worst things we can do is do like the people of Israel and, and stop our ears to that. Because it, Jesus comes for the sick. Jesus comes for those who, who need a physician. Jesus comes for those who are sinners, right? And in order for Jesus to be for us as sinners, the, the Lord has to do the work first of pointing out that sin, pointing out where our idolatries are uh, so that they can be removed so that Jesus can stand in their place as the true God, right? Not as these these things, you know, these gods that we try and make for ourselves that Jeremiah says, the, such things are not gods, right? But there is a God. His name is Jesus and he's died for you and he's been raised for you and he has come to forgive even all of these terrible sins that, that the people of Israel have committed and that we ourselves have committed, uh, that there is nothing that is too great for Christ's blood to cover. Pastor Sean Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas, helping us today with Jeremiah 16, verses 1 to 21. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, it's great to be back. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, comments on this series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or download the KFUO app and use the open mic feature to record up to a 60-second message to send to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.